You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. This is Deacon Basil. This is Sarah. And Josh. And we are coming back to you with our Halloween special, I guess. I don't know. How do, what do we call this? Halloween Halloween theme topic. Our Halloween theme topic. And we're sitting here in, uh, in the great Arvada office. And of course, Sarah is all the way across. So you might hear some, some obnoxious scarfing down of donuts here. But you won't be hearing Sarah do that because she couldn't bother to get in her car and drive to the office to do this. She has to be sitting at home. Excuse you. I did. I forgot. I forgot that we were doing this. Yeah, like she my forgot about you all. She <laughs> forgot. How does that make you all feel? I have not forgotten about the podcast listeners. I love the podcast listeners. I, think I forgot about them. I forgot about them for like a year. Uh, yeah, rude. Yeah, I've I'm had sorry. people come up and more people come up and tell me that they listen to the podcast than you have. So today, what we're talking <laughs> about is. Uh, Moving on. Uh, Halloween, um, All Hallows' Eve. I don't really, um, I mean, my All Saint Day is usually like in May. So I don't, you know, this is really like, this is the uh, the feast of St. Theodore Romja for me. To me, blessed Theodore Romja. Um, or these, uh, let's see, that's also the Apostles, I can't even pronounce that. So, um, or the Hiram Martyr uh, John. So that's what it is for me. But uh, what... What is it, uh, maybe, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about just this time of year and fear in general, um, as I think what we want to be talking about today. So, what spooky is... Spooky season. The spooky, spooky season, yeah. Yeah. Did we identify the topic yet? I don't think we did. I said fear. Did you? Yeah. Okay, just to make sure. Yeah, I know I know you have some fear around this about not, not having clarity here, but... Uh, so, yeah, what is... What maybe maybe we could just kind of discuss this a little bit. What is fear? We spent the last ten minutes trying to kind of define it from all of its many different ways and things like that. But what is fear, Sarah? For you, what, Sarah? What are your deep-seated fears? Um, no. <laughs> um. Oh, do you want me to actually answer that, or do you want me? No, to I want you to define fear. Okay. Um. For me, fear is a sense of danger that I can't control. Sure. And all of the complexity of what danger, what that word danger might mean, right? So that could be yeah. fear of a saber-toothed tiger. I don't know why we always use the example of a saber-toothed tiger, but that's what we do. Uh, fear <laughs> of a saber-toothed tiger, but also then the fear of death or the fear of divorce or the fear of spiders or whatever else it might be. Like it's the fear of the danger associated with it, right? Yeah. Like, it's not simply um, confronting a difficult situation. It's confronting a situation that could cause me harm. Yes. Or a situation that is unknown that I don't have power or control over. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I think, I think you said something that was... was- I mean, among other things, very insightful. Um, it's the fear of not having control. You always say insightful things. I'm sorry, I've verbalized that poorly. Um, but no, I think what it what it is is that uh, it's the fear of the lack of control, 
that very often it's the lack of control. I know that, um, you know, a lot of times we talk about phobias, right? Um, mm -hmm. or, or fear fear of flying is kind of a kind of example that at least clinically, I'm sorry, I'm putting my hand in your face, I'm sorry. Um, I talk with my hands. Um, the fear of, of, of flying is the one that I use a lot in, in session. And, you know, it's like, okay, I've got, we've got this kind of general terror of something happening, right? Uh, this general terror. But oftentimes it's the fear of the panic that's associated with it because I don't have control over my panic. So I, I get up, I fly, I have a panic attack because of the flight. The next flight, I'm afraid of having a, a panic attack, right? Curious, your guys is like, does that resonate with you all? Yeah, I think it's awareness of an experience that something can actually happen, right? It's like we're not aware that someone can die until they actually do. Mm -hmm. We're aware that death can actually happen, then we're afraid that that can happen anytime, anywhere, anyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they would become afraid of the fear in a sense. Mm. And to kind of go back to what Sarah was saying, the lack of control is a part of that, but I think it's also lack of ability to cope, not knowing what to do. How is this going to affect me and how am I going to recover? Mm -hmm. the, the deer in headlights or the fight what was that fight, flight, freeze right. effect. All right. of those things. We're afraid of something we don't know. And how are we going to be able to respond to that? Yeah. So, sorry, when you said fight, flight, freeze, there's also fawn, which is more like what you do in interpersonal danger. Um, like if you're in an argument and you start agreeing with the person that you're arguing, so they, they feel like you're on their side, so they stop attacking you. Um, but yeah, it's that situational thing. And I'm, I'm sorry, like I started thinking about like my own conversations with my therapist about how I'm a freeze and like what we do to get out of those situations and just how frustrated I was when I realized that I was like this explains so much about my life mm. yeah that that everybody does it no matter what you know and that that that's a physiological phenomena as much right. as it is a sort of psychological phenomena you know one of the things that we do at couples counseling is talk about how you know when you're fighting with your spouse that really is like facing a saber-toothed tiger you know it's like a psychological saber-toothed tiger right and we respond I mean I know you know Josh and I have seen this quite a lot it's like we respond as if we're doing combat with a psychological, uh, excuse me, as if we're doing combat with the other person as a saber-toothed tiger, even though that usually leads to more problems right. um, within the conflict. So yeah, there's this kind of fear thing that is always kind of behind a lot of this. Like, what am I, you know, how do I, how do I work? How do I move forward? How do we, how do we do this? Right. I always call fear the, the feeling that is so underrated and doesn't give doesn't get all the credit it deserves because that has such an effect and role in our lives. And I don't think we really recognize it till we think about it. Mm -hmm. But I want to say, just to throw out a random number, 90% of the effect of our behaviors and perception, I think is based on fear. Sure. Do you think it's that high? 90%? I do. I wow. do. Around like 80 at the least, 80 and 90. I think a lot of it may be unconscious, but I think again, because something has happened in our life, we curve around that. I don't know if you've even heard of the theory that whenever there's a trauma, our development kind of then happens on the trauma, right? right. Like after that. And yeah. I think fear can happen the same way, again, whether it's a loss or a change or a heartbreak, or whatever it may be, because we're trying to prevent further harm. I'm just go back to Freud, since we're done about him a minute ago, we're trying to, what is that, um, avoid harm and seek pleasure, right? Or something to that extent. Right. 
we didn't quote that. We didn't quote Sigmund Freud right. um, on the podcast. Yes. This was this was off camera. Maybe no maybe we'll put that quote down in the uh, in the show notes for uh, everyone. It's my favorite quote of Freud. Oh, um, I think we should. It's delightful. It's delightful. <laughs> so they can check it out down there. Uh, but I think there that you know you're. I think you're right. I think I mean I agree completely that so much of our lives psychologically, emotionally, come from a place first and foremost of fear that. I'm afraid something's going to happen. I'm afraid about the past. I'm afraid of all of these things. And, and it doesn't have to be the dramatic traumas right. either, right? right? It could be it could be the everyday trauma. It could be the trauma of, you know, coming home every day to a spouse where there's, you know, real problems. And I kind of, I, I begin to fear my doorstep kind yeah. of thing. Or it could be the fear of a terrible job, you know, um, and, and my fear of, of whatever else it is. So, so much of our lives are kind of fear-based. And I think you, your point about that with trauma is, is really a good one that, we stunt ourselves because of that trauma, yeah. you know? So sometimes, sometimes what happens is like, you know, if you have a developmental trauma at 12, you kind of stay at that developmental stage yeah. for the rest of your life. Chris is actually really good about this with his neurolinguistic, neurolinguistic, whatever it is, neurological uh, specialization. And I think that's, that's really quite um, interesting that, that that comes first and foremost from fear. Sure. It's a mode of self-preservation. Right. This thing happen. I'm going to do everything I can to keep that from happening. And what we don't often notice is that we hinder our growth. Mm. We limit other opportunities because of that effect. And this at one time perceived benefit is now a detriment. Mm -hmm. So when we get to that realization, what then do we do? Well, we usually respond poorly, right? right. And respond in relation to that. I'm reminded I've been on a imago therapy kick recently. Um, and imago therapy is entirely about you kind of live out your earlier childhood emotional wounds um, in later relationships, seeking healing from them. And that's exactly what we're kind of saying. I'm afraid because of my past, because my family didn't give me the needs, the, the nurturing needs that I, the nurturing needs that I needed, the nurturing that I needed, I'm afraid that I'm not going to get that. And that's where I'm going to kind of manifest moving forward. Right. And I think most profoundly, all of the psychological issues that we typically see, especially in like the, the um, personality disorders, are, um, tend to be fear-based. Right. Absolutely. Whether it be borderline or, or, or any of the other kind of personality issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm sorry, could you say that? If they're not listed in the criteria, I, I still believe there's some type of influence. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So there's there's this big kind of psychological fear that is the thing that kind of animates us, mm -hmm. right? But it also strikes me that there's there's individual fears. We kind of talked a little bit about phobias and things sure. like that. So that's, that's another kind of side. I'm curious from your guys' perspective, what's the difference between fear and anxiety? Because a lot of times people think that fear, people think that, I'm sorry, I'm totally setting her up. She, I'm, I, you told me to, to set you up for this. So that's what I'm doing. No, you, I did it. I said, we should discuss this. I thought you said, <laughs> I am the only one qualified to speak on that this. That is uh, false. Um, oh, okay. So what is the difference between, Sarah, please enlighten us. What is the difference between fear and anxiety from your perspective? Um, oh, fudge muffins. Um, I think anxiety might be the result of a longstanding fear and the effects it has on the rest of your life. Anxi okay, let me just, let me just. Brief, say that one more time. Anxiety is the result of a long-standing fear and its effect on many aspects of your life. I think so. 
that's that's the definition that that feels closest right now um i don't know josh what do you think i like that i was almost thinking the opposite but the more i think about it the more i think i'm with you because one can be an honor for the other right mm-hmm. and if we're aware of something and then create a reaction to something so i think i'm with you that because anxiety is more the ones that manifest and remains <laughs> the fear i think i mean i'm probably not giving enough credit but it can it can stay or go we can choose to be able to respond to it and to eliminate it. Like, oh, I'm not really, really that worried about that one. But if we really harbor and, met and really fixate on one, it can then become a source of our anxiety. Yes. So good teamwork. I think we, yeah, can, I think, we handle that one well. <laughs> I think, I mean, obviously, anxiety has other kinds of characteristics in addition to straight fear because there's the there's the physiological phenomena as well which um, are there and, and you know racing heart rate and the kind of inability to get those thoughts out you know i'm i'm literally looking at our uh, bookshelf right here which is called the anxiety and worry work workbook um i think i have that you have that oh good we sell it at our uh, office for oh, <laughs> a nice. nominal fee. um and we work through it. it's by uh you know uh david clark and aaron beck i would say that there's other workbooks out there that are really quite good act for anxiety is another great example it's almost like i'm listing these because they're going to be down in the show notes um so people can go take a look at them but oh weird um, so weird yeah i know i'm so i'm a giver um but i'm curious okay so what if anxiety is the connection of a deep-seated fear for a very long period of time what's worry the first step the first step of it yeah worry fear and anxiety that they all go hand in hand. I think so. Or they can lead to the other. So okay. that I have a fear of abandonment. Okay. That's a deep seated. I mean, I'm just making this up. I, I actually sometimes wish people would leave me alone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, but I have this deep fear of abandonment. Um, and then over time, that fear, it strikes me that anxiety is the manifestation of that fear in kind of the active, the active way, right? Yeah. So I feel like anxiety is when I have that fear kind of coming out in those beliefs. Right. People are going to leave me. I'm going to be abandoned. That strikes me as kind of how anxiety is a slightly sort of nuanced version of fear, a general fear of that abandonment. And then worry, I think, although this would not show up in the the DSM or, or kind of the clinical literature, but worry is this kind of subset of that, which is that kind of simmering aspect of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm worried about, um, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm got, it's the aspect of, it's like, I've got those racing thoughts Mm -hmm. that I can't get out of my mind. That's to me is kind of what worry is. Okay. Is that resonant? Um, Yeah, I think so. So like to, let me, let me know if you follow this analogy. Worry is like, there's mosquito buzzing around your head. Anxiety is like there's a swarm of wasps buzzing around you um and fear would be like the actual pain from being stung like you're in pain at that point i don't know yeah i mean i i I can see that i would say that fear is knowing that there are um that there are insects out there looking for you (laughs) kind of situation right but it's almost i I love your visualizations but i want to take fear to another level 
I'm afraid that I'm going to get stung. I'm going to have to go to the hospital because I could be allergic and I have to spend thousands of dollars at the hospital. Mm. It's mm. the exasperated effect of something that could happen. And yeah. more, we, I always like using water as a metaphor too. It's like our feet are just in the water, right? Which is thinking about something, we're just aware. It just came to our awareness. And we're concerned about how it could affect us. Mm-hmm. And then we go a little bit deeper, maybe knee, waist deep. And that's the fear. And I, I'm still kind of struggling with the, the severity of anxiety or fear. Because you mentioned like the fear of abandonment. That is one of those deep-seated ones that then cause anxiety, right? Right. That well, can lead like GAD. That can uh, influence that. Yes. Well, GAD is you... a generalized anxiety yes. disorder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. To, Josh, to like spin off of your, your water metaphor, I like that. Um, if worry is like putting your feet in the river and like, you're suddenly aware that the river could sweep me off my feet and I could drown. Right. Then fear would be the fear of drowning and anxiety yes. would be feeling the sensation of the river pulling you, whether or not it's actually pulling you under, or if you're just, you know, knee high and you're feeling the currents. Right. I'm anxious. This could happen because yeah. of this fear, because of the awareness of this fear. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're they're very deceptive. They work hand in hand really well. And I always call it like quicksand as well. Like the more we we struggle or kind of sink into that, and the more we focus on that, I think I mentioned my air pump metaphor before. The more we give it power, the more it has power over us. Mm. And the harder it is to manage that feeling. Mm-hmm. Like if I think about this one fear all day, it's kind of so much power, I'm not gonna know what to do with it. It's gonna be so much more difficult to manage. You've got to give it so much time and so much energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that we followed anger in our podcast sequence here. Because I often think, I don't know if I said this last time or not, that often behind anger is fear. It's a protector of that, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Very, very often. Um, I even think, boy, I don't have it in front of me, but I, think, I even think that the DSM kind of brings that out. Right. Um, that a lot of anxiety, especially around male anxiety, can manifest as, as anger. Right. Mm-hmm. Not to detours, but I think that's definitely a challenge. Yeah. And of course, that podcast came out a couple of days ago, so they can go back and listen to Perfect. it. Uh, right. I'm told I'm told that I have to keep saying, like, like, subscribe and follow us. And, and, and I just find that. But anyways, there you go. Um, that's what that's what the YouTube videos subscribe tell me. if you want to. I don't. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> um, so in light of that, we've got this anxiety stuff going on. We've got this um, kind of process. Now, there's another kind of bigger picture anxiety. And I think this is this time of year, we kind of think and talk a lot about this, right? This kind of general fear. Um, and this is, you know, kind of my my world, right, of, of therapy, what we talk about existential fear and anxiety, right? And of course, existentialism, there's this entire process of existentialism being a um, psychological discipline and a philosophic thing that, oh, it's all atheistic. That's not necessarily the case. It was founded by a Christian. Um, But what psychological existential anxiety is, is it's really the fear of death. Memento mori. Right. Yep. It's really, well, yes, but it's the fear of death and the fear of decline and the fear of that. And I think, you know, there's an entire branch of psychology that is dedicated to, if you don't deal with this anxiety, that kind of existential anxiety, the anxiety that you know you're going to die, Mm-hmm. You're really not going to make any long-term progress psychologically. You Isn't know, that called uh, you, thanatology? Uh, th- uh, thanatology, yeah. That, that's kind of a specific branch of uh, 
there's a, a thanatologist or death study is what that means. Uh, thanatologists, um, they're a specialized branch of, uh, of um, ADEC, um, which is the uh, American Association of Death and, and Death Grief, death, death, whatever it is. So they're great uh, sort of around grief counseling. Um, but the entire thought for me here is that, well, okay, I have to deal with the reality that I know I'm going to die. And we've used this kind of metaphor a lot, memento mori around this quite a lot. Um, but I think this time of year, we meditate upon it in a special way, right? Um, well, at least Romans do. Eastern mm -hmm. Catholics, you know, we do it at different times of the year. But I think this time of year, it's fitting, right? With all the leaves coming off the trees and the world seeing yeah. dying. Um, it's this time to kind of meditate. What? <laughs> <laughs> dramatic the world, was, seemingly dying. the world seemingly dying yeah you know it's autumn oh, it's slob, the approach I'm of winter like the slob, world is going to sleep yeah. yeah but but i think i think that's true so you know i was driving around my neighborhood and there's a bunch of skeletons you know out on the yard and years ago that really bothered me and then i realized now, this is like us trying to deal with that sort of fear of death that kind sure. of existential mm -hmm. thing and i actually think it's a good thing um if you would walk into a roman villa right? This is so nerdy. I'm bringing this up, but I'm going to bring it up all the same. You would walk into a Roman villa in Pompeii. Um, on the floor, they would always have, um, apparently, they have uh, these skeletons on the floor of all of the dining rooms. And the entire idea about it is the feast is the best part of life, but don't get too comfortable because you're going to die. Right. That's and I think fun. that's really healthy. You know, I mean, looking around, we've got crucifixes. Right. That's an important thing. These kinds of symbolisms remind us of our own death. Now, here's the problem that I've seen through and through and through with Catholics around this memento mori issue. They don't actually do memento mori. They're actually doing, let me meditate upon judgment, right? And that is, mm. let me be afraid of going to hell. Not so much, let me be afraid of dying. Now, obviously, those two go hand in hand. But more than that, I'll use the example that I've used a number of times here. I don't think God is going to damn me to hell because I ki didn't kiss my girls goodbye this morning, right? But the fact that I could die and still maybe go to heaven, the fact that I could die, me memento more, remembering that means that I'm going to kiss my girls goodbye. Sure. Yeah. I think sometimes we have to meditate upon death rather than judgment. Well, the fear just came back in again, didn't it? Well, there's a little yeah, bit of fear of judgment, yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of, a lot of Catholics, a lot of like ex-Catholics in particular too, are afraid of judgment. They're afraid of being told you lived wrong right. um, or you didn't live correctly. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're kind of seeing maybe like a resurgence of Jansenism in this era. Oh, I, I don't think it ever left. Jansenism is the fear that if you don't do everything absolutely perfectly, right? This is a heresy that came out of uh, France. Uh, um, Always France. Is, right, yeah. It's the, uh, it's the uh, belief that if you don't do everything absolutely perfectly, God is going to damn you to hell. So basically God is just up there in heaven waiting to damn us all to hell, right? Which sounds exhausting. Oh, it does sound exhausting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's very common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I put this in a homily a couple of weeks ago, which was, you know, I refuse to believe that a God 
who came and became a tiny speck of dust in this great big universe of ours is just looking for an opportunity to damn me to hell. Like he's just, now that doesn't mean I shouldn't live a good life and shouldn't work towards that, but it's really, you got to kind of balance that. Sure. But I think it's also, I mean, to go back to the root and I would say the topic, but the source of this here (laughs) is what is greater fear or desire, right? I think we often get distracted by fear to live a better life. Mm. And I think it often kind of gets in the way. And that's something I talk about a lot is what is greater right now, the desire for change or fear. And if so, why? And who's kind of running the show here? And every time we kind of think of this greater good, as you imagine, or as you just kind of talked about, this is often obstacle gets in the way. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. It's not how God intended. I mean, uh, what is that phrase? Um, fear is not created by God. It is not a thing of God, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a thing of the earth or the devil, whatever you want to call it. It's the thing that gets in the way of our greater life, of everything that's available for us. And we have to use that wisdom and the grace and everything else to recognize the effect and how to stay focused on what is available to us to get all those graces. I think it's a day of the challenge. Yeah. And I think we can often kind of revert to that or default to that. Like, yes, yeah, it's going to happen, but what about this? And what about that? These are the worries you talked about earlier. These kind of pennies that are dropped in the fountain, right? Call them worries, wishes, whatever you want. But they have this ripple effect on us. Yep. Goes from there. Yep. I 100% agree. Um, and I think that's exactly, you know, where it is. So, uh, you know, what do we do, you know, now that we're, now that we've kind of dissected anxiety, what are two or three tricks, hints that people can do instead of going, which of course is going to be our big long-term recommendation, which is if you're struggling with this, please go to therapy. Um, what, <laughs> what would be another, what would be a trick that you kind of have seen in relation to either the existential fear or the just kind of generalized anxiety that, that can happen? I'm going to identify something you've already talked about. Yeah. I'm just never for what it is and what we do at Halloween, right? We mock the fear. We yeah, identify yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And we put it back in this place. I love it because it's almost like a technique that we didn't know what we were doing until we are doing it. Mm-hmm. But it actually has a lot of power to it. And, I mean, this goes back to narrative therapies and externalization, right? If you identify the effect of the feeling and you take control, it doesn't have that much more control power of you anymore. You have to identify it. You have to call it out. You have to put it back in its place. Where are you here? What's your purpose, et cetera, et cetera? And how can I better manage this feeling? Because there's some validity to it. I'm not going to take anything away from that. Yeah. But how can we better serve this so it doesn't serve me anymore? So I'm not kind of um, in servitude to this fear. What can I better do here? How can yeah. I better respond? Yeah. So the first one is, is as you've said, like kind of move towards a mocking of that. Yes. Which is exactly where trick-or-treating came from. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, you dress up as ghosts and ghouls and so on and so forth in order to fear, in order to scare the demons away. Right. And I think, you know, I think that's exactly, exactly the right attitude here, which is to say, let's not give them too much power. Yes. So don't give the fear too much power. Right. right? And I love that because it's saying, I'm not scared of you anymore. Sure. You can't harm me. Sure. And I also like to use the Wizard of Oz um, scene that I, I say a lot is that at first fear, that large daunting voice, when we find it, it's a scared little man behind the curtain. Sure. The source of it, right? But once we identify, we can actually do that to execute that. Sure. In that way. Sure. I would 
to add a second kind of like state of this, which was also to say, admit that you're going to have the fear. Yeah. Like, because you can mock it, but you also have to just kind of accept that it's going to be there. Sure. So from, from the, from like an act perspective, yeah. Accept that it's going to be there, that you're going to have these kind of thoughts. Right. They're going to be there. And what do you want? How do you want to live your life in spite of that? With well, you can't mock something that. first yes. Yes, unless you that. accept it. I'm sorry. Yes. I wasn't listening, Sarah. What was that? Rude. You can't mock something unless you first accept it. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Through so accept that. It's, yeah. Yeah. And accept that it's going to be there. Yeah. Accept that it's going to be there. And then in light of your values, right. We might say virtues in light of your values. How do you want to respond? Yeah. Right. I like it. So <laughs> those two go hand in hand. And I think that at the same time, we can also then say, okay, how do I, and, and I think the clarifying the exercise that can be very clarifying around this for how, what are my values? Well, what's the existential kind of question of, of, how, of death? Like, so what do you want to do yeah. in light of this? It brings you awareness, right? This is a reality. What mm-hmm. do you want to do with it? How can you live life more to the fullest? Yep, absolutely. It kind of goes back to Erickson's stages of development, right? That last stage, integrity versus despair. Yep, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's like memento mori and carpe diem are, you know, just two sides of the same coin. Um, how do you want to live today if you might die tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, my recommendation would people just go get a tattoo of memento mori or a skull. <laughs> Well, maybe not a tattoo. Um, you know, or an art print or something. I'm sorry, what? For an art print or something. Sure. One of the one of the things that that was done, maybe not as tattoos, but you see, the saints would have skulls around to remind them. Um, or bone the, churches. Bone yeah. churches. Yeah, yeah. Bone no. churches are so cool. Right. Absolutely. Or, or you know, there's there's. Um, uh, there's places on Mount Athos where there are 1500 year old skulls that are still there nice. you know, of monks, that, this room of all of these skulls that you would go in and just kind of meditate upon that. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I don't think you need anything grotesque, but I do think a little bit of the imagery of death might not be the worst thing in the world. And a right. little bit of meditation on that. Sure. Reminder of our mortality. Right? Exactly. And also a reminder that we have, not to go back to this again, we have a choice. What do we want to do with? Yeah. And how can we do something about it? Because I think often, I didn't know that we've all kind of ran into this one form or another. We've seen the effect of it. Right. But again, I, I go back to this a lot. The three facets that change my eyes, awareness, desire, and choice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think these are gifts. And it's hard to recognize that, but we always have that choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. You always have that choice. And and in that, that choice can then be to either go into it right. or to run away from it. Sure. You know, right. and yeah. so a part of it is to kind of face that fear and to kind of move into it. I have no illusions about how difficult that is. I mean, you know, sometimes it's not there. When do you think fear from a from certain people who might be saying, well, is this fear something that I can just do on my own? Or is this something that more clinical work might be helpful with? Sure. Um, what are some of the things you guys notice? I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of start that if you're asking that question, it's best to just go to call a therapist. <laughs> uh, my thought on that is just simply work with someone to see if this is the right 
the right fit. If not, then maybe it is something that could be done individually. But I'm curious, like in that, that's obviously my cop out. But what else would be another way of doing it? Well, it depends on the effect, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Like, what are the effects of the fear on your life? Yeah. Right. Is it financially, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera. How how impactful has this been, and for how long? Right. Mm-hmm. And have I not? Have I yet to identify the source? That's when therapy can really be helpful. I feel this way. I don't know why it's affecting me these ways. I don't know what to do about it. I think it's a good indicator right there. Yeah, I 100% agree. I really do believe that, um, you know, I mean, that that's like in all of these criteria within the DSM and all of these things. It says, but how is it affecting your life? Right. Right. And so it's like, well, what what do you, you know, if it's if it's just, ah, it's a pain, that's sure. not really a psychotherapy issue. Right. If it's, this is actually causing me bigger, big issues. Right. Even emotional issues, psychological issues, but financial, relational, spiritual, like all of these different kinds of issues, that's when it's best suited to a clinical environment, right? right? Am I affected physically, mentally, spiritually, all that? Or mm-hmm. even go back to our great scale, right? One tends to be in the highest. Where am I at on average? If it's above a five, it's a, if it's above a five on a consistent basis, I think it's good to pay attention to that. Right, right. But if it's manageable, below a five, and intermittent, yeah. we just kind of work on things and think of different angles, things of that nature. Yeah, everybody's going to have anxiety and a little bit of fear throughout their day, right? Sure. I mean, even if you, if you get cut off on the uh, interstate, you're going to have a little bit of fear there, right? Or when it snows. Right? When it snows, you're going to have a little bit of fear. Or if you wake up in the morning and it's frosted and you realize that you're going to be late to your first session because you have to scrape your car, the frost off your car. Ha- purely hypothetical. There's going to be a little really? bit of anxiety. Hypothetical, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that that's, you know, really important to kind of say, but when it becomes unmanageable, that's when professional help yep. is necessary. Totally. Yeah. Here's another thought that I just kind of that just kind of came to me. What if we can perceive fear as a gift? Fear as a gift. I mean, this reminds me of people who, you know, can't feel pain, right. can't feel any of these things, right? Right. Mm. That is a great example of like, yeah, fear has to be a gift. Right. Can we recognize the benefit of that? This is the nerdiest thing I've ever said on this podcast, but I remember in my neuroscience class. I classes, highly doubt it. You doubt that? Well, just <laughs> wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. When uh, in my neuroscience class in undergrad, I remember we were researching what would happen with um, rats that would be around mountain lions because their fear receptors in their brain, because of something about mountain lion urine, the fear in their brains would it, it wouldn't affect them anymore and so the mountain lions would be able to eat a lot of rats now guess what the most likely way in which a um person at the zoo who manages mountain lions and cleans their cages guess how they usually die mountain lion attack no <laughs> <laughs> no car crashes oh because they're, they're not the afraid it, right <gasps> they're the one who makes the mistake because they no longer have any fear Oh, that's wild. Right? I told you it was nerdy. That um, is pretty nerdy. That might not be the nerdiest, but it's up there. I'll give it, I'll give it a top five. So what you're saying is, is if you don't have, uh, what I'm saying is if you don't have fear, you could die because it's, you don't have a healthy experience of fear. Okay. If it, so in some ways it is a gift. Okay. I'm curious your thoughts on, curious your thoughts on mountain lion pee. Well, I think it's happened to the mouse. I mean, I got the mouse? lost and like I was falling into a whole parody and like, where's the rat playing? Did he cause a car wreck? I don't know. <laughs> oh, poor rats. 
I'll, um, I'll explain it to you after. Uh, after <laughs> Put the study in the show notes if you can find it. That would be it hilarious. It's a motivation. That's how yeah. you get. Yeah. And yeah. As every gift, if we choose to respond to it or not, is our choice. Yeah. So we're now aware of something great. What do we want to do with it? Right. Simple as that. That could, yeah, I mean, that's exactly back to that kind of fear of death can actually be a sort of motivating thing yeah. for you to make yeah. change in your life. Totally. While and also think, being, you know, something that can overwhelm you. I think another you. thing about that um, fear when it's, when the, the seed is thwarted, that's when, you know, fear and anxiety take root. But when it's processed in the moment through something like ritual or, um, like when you do perceive it as gift, then it's able to bear fruit and awareness. Yes. I'm thinking of like grief rituals from cultures like uh, Judaism or um, Anishabi, like the way that they process grief and the way that it is embodied and holistic. Um, like imagine like being a child and going to a funeral at a really young age and then, like, never speaking of that person again. Of course, that would like, create deep, dark fears. Or, like, having no acknowledgement of death until something bad and terrible happens. Mm -hmm. But in other cultures um, and other traditions, like, you, you have a mourning period. You have a confronting of the absence of this person. And I think I think Catholic funerals need to be a little bit more goth, actually. I I agree one hundred percent. I I think I think one of the biggest problems with um, certain aspects of of both rights of all the rights is that they're just they're they're more about the celebration. They've turned into more about the celebration of the life of the of the person's life, which is good. That there's, there's a portion to that, but let's be honest. I'm sitting there thinking. I'm going to be the one in the box. How am I going to do that? I, aside from the homilies, I've preached on this. Um, <laughs> I've never heard a homily say, that's what everybody else is thinking. What is my funeral going to look like? I want it to be dramatic. I want there to be tears. You better like cry at my funeral. Um, pray oh, for my soul. Sarah, I will be crying at your funeral. I can Not tears you. of joy, you jerk. <laughs> I love the TV shows where like the star sees himself in the coffin. Right. They have like that awakening moment. Right. That's a really deep kind of what you're going on. So you're like, what is this going to be like? Yeah. Well, isn't that, isn't that like, it's becoming that time of year. Like, isn't that what Ebenezer Scrooge does is like all of yeah. these wonderful experiences did really very little to change him until he saw us. Right. Uh, until he saw how people dealt with him after that. Oh my gosh. My favorite version of, of the Christmas story is the musical one where he dances on his coffin and doesn't realize that it's his coffin till they get to the cemetery. Wow. Yeah. Highly recommend it. You know, you remind I, me, go ahead. I highly recommend the uh, Muppets uh, version yes. of, uh, of Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Always, yes. I'm yes. sorry. That's apropos of nothing. Yeah. What was that? What was that? Well, I just thought of something. You remind me of something I did in my undergrad going back to that time 20 years ago. We had to write our own eulogy. Yes. And then presented. Do you do that too, presenting your class? I, I did an entire research uh, study, a published research study, where that's what participants had to do. Whew. 
So you researched me. That's I right. researched you, yeah. And people like you. Yeah. And I found nothing of consequence. Well, it was intense. Was. And it was yeah. kind of one of those wake-up calls. I'm really glad I did it at the age I did it because it wakes you up yeah. at that time because it really reminds you, again, of everything else we've been talking about. Yeah, that, that you know, that that can lead to a fear or that can be a productive process. What I want my life to be. Yeah, yep. absolutely. All right, well, we should probably leave it there. But uh, you all have a very happy Halloween. Yes. A very happy, for you Romans out there, a very happy All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And for you you, uh, Eastern Byzantine Catholics out there, a very happy feast of uh, uh, the Hiram Martyr John, St. Theodore Romja, and whoever's on the 1st of November. (laughs) But we'll catch you guys next time on the Catholic Psyche Podcast. Ciao for now.